welcome back for another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. We're back to a two-man booth this week, and with me, as always, is Matt Sells, at The Sells Man on Twitter. So, Matt, how are things going for you in your neck of the woods? Uh, they're going they're going all right. I mean, this week was not great for me in fantasy baseball. It was in one league. I think I went 6-0 and in my dynasty head-to-head matchup league, which is nice. Um, but in my keeper high stakes, uh, home league, it was, it was, it was not great because of the uh, first injury we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, but yeah, it it was, it was not a good week for me in fantasy baseball land. I'm sure even if your week wasn't great, it was better than whom you are alluding to in Max Scherzer, one of really our decades workhorses, even he can't escape the curse of New York. Uh, Mets pitchers to say the least so he's going to be on the shelf with an oblique injury I believe I saw probably six to eight weeks can he beat that timeline perhaps if he was maybe not in a Mets uniform he'd have a better chance it just seems to be a curse with the pitchers there so this is definitely a blow to those fantasy owners who invested a probably a first or second round pick it would have take to get Scherzer there so he's going to be on the shelf for six to eight weeks what do you foresee the Mets doing and do you can't replace a guy like Scherzer off waiver wire for agent. You just simply can't do that. But uh, what can fantasy managers kind of do to maybe mitigate the loss over the next really month and a half to two months without Scherzer? Um, so it's basically impossible to make up his numbers, right? The guy was pitching outstanding. I think he had a two, four, three ERA. Uh, I think it was like 59 strikeouts in 40 something innings. Um, it is concerning though, that in speaking to the curse that he's never had a left side injury. And that's what this is. It's a left oblique and in his post-game interview he was like yeah I've never had a pain on my left side so there's clearly something going on um in the in Queens as far as you know fantasy managers can go you can basically spot start the rest of the way like you're gonna have to stream start people um or just get lucky and find some guy who's pitching well who's still on waivers and hope that that hot streak continues. Um, maybe mine the uh, you know the miners to see if anybody's going to come up. Taylor McGill should be back reasonably soon, I guess, according to his mom. Said he was going to be okay. Um, but as far as the Mets go, I I don't know what they're going to do. They don't have a whole lot of pitching depth in their uh, in their farm system for one. Two, they have a plethora of pitchers that are currently injured, both in the rotation and um, bullpen. But let's let's toss out an outlandish concept here. Perhaps they trade Ronnie Mauricio. Perhaps they trade him to go get uh, a starter. Right, who's on the market? We're not a hundred percent sure, but you can check in with some guys with some teams that aren't really going anywhere right now. Um, maybe the Cleveland Guardians would trade uh, Shane Bieber. Maybe you could see, um, you know, some 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 other guys. But Ronnie Mauricio could be a trade piece here for the Mets if they really want to make a run at things because he's blocked positionally. He plays the middle infield. Um, they're not really going to move him off of that. And 
the Mets middle infield is pretty well loaded for the foreseeable future here. So I think they may trade. I think they may make a trade. And then when Scherzer gets back and theoretically DeGrom gets back, then you shift somebody out of the rotation, whether it be Taiwan Walker or a healthy Tyler McGill or somebody else. I think that's what they do. So let's say let's play hypotheticals here. And you'll always see this on Twitter in the old uh, who says no question. So let's say Mauricio and two mid-level prospects to Cleveland for Bieber. Who says no in that hypothetical deal? I mean, I don't see why Cleveland would say no, right? He's their only huge piece on that team right now. They're clearly rebuilding. They have a deep farm system that could, that you know, they'll have pitchers coming up here shortly. Um, they've traded everybody else. They said they wouldn't trade, right? They traded Bieber, or not Bieber, um, Bauer. Turns out that was a great decision. Uh, they traded Clevenger. So... You know, why not? They traded, um, who else a couple of years ago to Texas on blank and uh, Kluber. Um, so who says, who says no, right? Like he could also use a change of scenery. He's not been very good in Cleveland this year. I think the only answer to that question would be Shane Bieber says no, because he sees what happens to pitchers that go to New York. So he would be the one yep. to, to veto that deal um another pitcher that went down well literally i don't know if it's too soon to make that make that comment yet but jake odorizzi went down with a pretty gruesome looking injury first thought upon seeing it was it's got to be the achilles or something like that that went on him um fortunately it seems like he was able to avoid worst case scenario seeing a report here that actually played catch a couple days ago which could be somewhat misleading because you know, I've seen people who are injured and they'll sit on a chair and play catch. Hey, okay, they're just throwing from a chair. So to keep the right. arm in motion, but at least for the Astros and for Odorizzi's sake, he seems to have avoided what many thought was the likely case at the time of the injury. He's still going to be out a little bit, but it seems like his 2022 season isn't lost. Yeah, that's good news for the Astros for sure, because they can't really take another hit to that rotation right now. Um, and it's good news for Odorizzi, because obviously going from what looks to be a likely torn Achilles to you're still up and functioning two days later. That's, that's good news. So I'm sure he lands on the IL for you know a couple of weeks, whether it's a minimum stay or it's a little longer so that they can make sure everything is stable and good. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, that's definitely good news for Jake Odorizzi. For those that play in multiple, well, even just one catcher setups, but multi-catcher setups in particular. If you invest in the high pick in Sal Perez, he's on the aisle probably for another week and a half or so um, due to some hand pain and a thumb sprain. So this seems to open the door a little bit for MJ Melendez, young guy with a ton of pop behind the dish. The Royals really, regardless of where he is, Melendez has to stay in the lineup here. They need any sort of power production they can get. seems like their lineup is full of Good con minus Perez, of course. Good contact guys, good speed, and you know so forth. But they need some pop in that lineup. So Sal Perez is going to be out a little bit. Melendez figures to see a boost in playing time upon Perez's return. If you ask me, I don't know how they can justify taking Melendez out unless he absolutely implodes over the next week and a half. But that's just me. What say you? Yeah, I mean they called Melendez up with a healthy Sal Perez still in the lineup, right? And he's been, they've been cohabitating in the lineup together for a couple of weeks now. So um, I think he's here to stay. 
which makes sense. They need the pop in that lineup. He's proven to be a very good hitter in the minor leagues. Um, but just one note on Sal Perez. It's That hand has got to be really hurting him. For as beat up as that guy gets behind the plate, and for as much of a workhorse as Sal Perez is behind the plate, for him to come out and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm not right, and I need a little bit of, you know, a break. That's got to be, you know, as the Mets broadcast noted with Scherzer, when he pulls himself out of a game, he's got to be seriously injured, right? Um, so it's a hand sprain. It's a couple of weeks for Perez. But, yeah, I agree Melendez is going to stay up, whether they rotate him behind the dish, give Sal Perez a few extra days off here and there, um, or, you know, just play fast and loose with DH. I think Melendez stays up unless he goes like oh for three weeks, then he's you know he'll stay up with the Royals. So I would definitely be looking to add Melendez, especially if you need pop. And a lot of times in two catcher setups, the second catcher you probably drafted as someone who's going to give you production in maybe one category. Like you're looking at power, and you don't really care about average, right. or you're like me and you took like Jacob Stallings to try to just get some sort of resemblance of a half-decent batting average, and you're not really concerned about anything else. So Right. And, and, I mean, in terms of um, grades, he grades out at about a 40-grade bat on a 2080 scale. So if you're not familiar with a 2080 scale, 50 is MLB average on that scale, right? Anything above 50 puts you into above average or plus or elite category. Anything below 50 is below average, and then you get into – like heinously bad. Like one of the prospects I just wrote up last week has a 20 grade power, but 70 grade speed. Right. So he's, you'd literally have to like put him at second base for him to have any shot of hitting a home run. Okay. Melendez has a 40 grade bat. So what does that mean? It's below average for MLB average, but for a catcher, it's probably about average, right? Catchers, you're not expecting big batting averages unless you're talking about, um, Salvi Perez is a different case. Obviously, JT Real Muto, guys like that, Will Smith. Um, but Melendez grades out at a 60 grade power, which is plus power, right? So if you assume that an average MLB hitter will hit 20 homers a year, plus power puts him in the 25 to 27 homer range. Okay, so that gives you an idea of the pop he's got and the, the hitting tool he's got. Absolutely. And a Melendez guy, just especially at a any guy that has a pulse behind the dish that's going to play, probably someone you're going to keep in in mind. I mean, when you look back at Melendez's numbers, uh, back in A-ball, 19 bombs in 111 games. And back in 2021, 41 with 103 RBIs there in a 288 average. So the kid can hit, no doubts about it there. Milwaukee starter Freddie Peralta is going to the IL with sore feelings and a sore, tight shoulder upon getting – not quite abused, but he got roughed up a bit by the Washington Nationals of all team. Of course, I wrote him up yesterday and talked about him in the or yesterday and Sunday for the Yahoo Heart of the Order play. So that didn't help my DFS lineup. So um, on behalf of everyone who owns Peralta and or played him on Sunday, we will blame you, Matt, as a Nationals fan for causing this along with the shoulder tightness for some uh, sore feelings there. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, not much to add. I think the sore feelings are a bigger part of this than the sore shoulder. Um, obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek. Clearly, if he's got a sore shoulder, he should be on the shelf, right? We're not just making a joke. But it does kind of strike me as funny that he has a bad outing against the worst offense in the National League. And all of a sudden, we hear about a sore shoulder when he's been perfectly fine 
uh, prior to that. I will say that the Nationals in their wins are averaging seven and a half runs a game, and in their losses, which are numerous, uh, they are averaging like, I don't know, 1.7 runs a game. So it's an all-or-nothing offense <laughs> right now for the Nats. Um, hopefully it's just a minimum stay for Peralta and there's nothing structural there. I don't believe I've seen any structural uh, thing. It just sounds like it's muscle tightness for him. Yeah, we'll just have to see if Washington can win a game with no hits. That's just going to be my new default to anything. You know, I don't think so. a testament of a true team. But in fairness, they haven't been no hit yet for as bad as that offense is. So, you know. I, I, I don't think we know enough about him yet to really <laughs> see if they can do that. But uh, I don't really have too much to say here. Chris Paddock's going to go into the knife for Tommy John surgery. Maybe he'll come back with a third pitch beyond the fastball and change up. Fingers crossed for that one. But we won't see him until, you know, probably, well, definitely 2023, probably towards the back half. They're probably going to have to ease him along a good bit because they want to protect that arm, whatever remains of it following surgery. Yeah, I mean – as I joked in our company Slack channel when I saw the news, um, was the surgery to inject to um, surgically implant a third pitch because that's been his problem all along. So, you know, it's not like he was pitching all that well before he went under the knife. Whether this explains that or not, I don't know. But yeah, Chris Paddock is it's going to be a very long time before he becomes fantasy relevant because um, when he comes back, the likelihood they stick him in the bullpen is pretty high. Absolutely there. And then we did see a lot of prospect news over the the past week or so. So let's start in St. Louis. Nolan Gorman is up, has been producing quite well, to say the least. And he's obviously an impact bat. You're about three weeks too early on your prediction. So I don't know. If we no, play, like a the Cardinals were type. three weeks too late on calling him up. That's what we're going to. That is a beautiful way to really spin <laughs> that one there. But I, I do like it. So. Uh, a couple, they are a couple weeks late there on the call, and then they also have a uh, nice young arm, Matthew Liberator, who has was actually just recalled shortly before doing this podcast with Stephen Matz going to the IL with a shoulder impingement. So it sounds like Liberator is going to get an option here to stick in the rotation. So uh, an influx of talent, young talent, I should say, in St. Louis there. And so best uh, friends, talking about those guys moving forward, they're best friends, by the way. Well, they played oh, right. they did get the debut together and that was a whole that was a whole thing. Yeah, they played little league together, they played at the high school together, like they've known each other for for quite quite a while. So um, quick quick interjection, is this our it's it's within the same sport, it's not spit not spanning sports, but is this like the new like Kershaw Stafford thing? That no matter whenever one gets mentioned, the other's gonna get mentioned. It's like they're they're tied together. Their fates are tied together forever. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be that, like, uh, that kind of took off there for, like, I've been saying it for a little while, and then it kind of took off, like, randomly. I guess it had to do with Stafford making the Super Bowl and nobody talking football for a week except, you know, hey, Stafford's best buddies with Kershaw. And by the way, they also produced a PGA, mass, like, a major champion uh, at that high school, too. Um, so maybe... I mean, they're both very, very talented, getting back to Libertor and Nolan Gorman. They're both very talented. They were top picks in their, you know, in in the drafts. Uh, Gorman has a massive power bat. He's also got a pretty decent hit tool. He was originally a third baseman. 
They moved him to second base when they acquired Nolan Arenado because they're like, yeah, you're not really going to supplant Nolan Arenado at third base. And we can't move you to first because we have a guy named Paul Goldschmidt at first base. Um, so they moved him to second, which turns out is great because Paul DeYoung sucks at shortstop. And so they moved Tommy Edmond over there and are playing Nolan Gorman. Um, and Libertor, look, there's some shine that's that's come off of him recently. When he was drafted, a, a lot of people, including myself, believed he would be a lefty ace. Um, with some really good strikeout numbers, kind of in the mold of like a Kershaw, right? Now it looks more like he'll be like a number two, maybe a number three with still some pretty good strikeout numbers, but he's not missing bats the way you need an ace to do. He's not pitching as efficiently as you need an ace to. Um, Now he's still young. Things could change. He could develop a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, he's going to get a. I would expect him to stick in the St. Louis rotation at this point. Um, I don't think he's going to be an up and down guy this year. I think he's going to stay in the rotation. They can shuffle some guys into the bullpen like they've done the last few years. And Nolan Gorman, I think, stays at second base for them at this point. I don't. I don't see the draw to call Paul the Young backup. Um, so yeah, I think these guys are here to stay. And then in Baltimore, I'm, I'm sure you saw him. I'm hoping you thought the same thing that I did. But did you see uh, the Adley Rushman post? Maybe it was from the Orioles or MLB of him overlooking like right field in Camden Yards. I don't know about you, but that gave me massive Angels in the Outfield movie cover vibes. Yeah, somebody tweeted, and I don't remember who, that uh, was like, is it just me or is it the prospects getting called up announcements? I either think, make you think he's dead or he's the next coming of God. Like, you know, cause it kind of gave me the, um, when the Cardinals, uh, several years ago, they had that right field prospect, uh, pass away unexpectedly in like a car crash. Um, and they left the right field lights on for him and they posted it there and they like Photoshopped his picture on it or whatever. Kind of gave me that vibe. Like, it's just kind of weird. Um, I did like to see Adley Rutschman kind of take it all in when he came onto the field for the first time in his catcher gear, kind of look around and give the fans a once-over and take it all in. Look, th- this guy's spectacular, okay? He's a generational catcher. When all is said and done, if everything works out, he stays healthy. He will go down as one of the best catchers ever. Okay, I'm quite confident in in saying that. If he stays healthy, he will be a Hall of Fame catcher. Okay, it's unlikely he's still available in your league. Just is. You probably had to draft him in a in a redraft league at the tail end of the draft or pick him up like three weeks ago. Um, in a dynasty, if he's still available and you're in a dynasty league, you better leave that league because it, it ain't a very good one. Um He's good. He's he's plus in every single category. He's double plus defensively. He will improve the pitching staff for the uh, Orioles. Grayson Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez should be there soon. They have another guy named D.L. Hall who's pitching pretty well. Also should be there maybe in September. Um, yeah, Rutschman's just – he's – He's that good. He will challenge for the number one fantasy catcher um, maybe next year. I'm going to extrapolate what you said into another statement, but there is basically a 
0.00000% chance that he gets sent back down at all yes. this season. He's up to stay. He's up for good. I was going to say, you think I mean, Robinson Chirinos was their starting catcher and didn't do anything. So, yep. yeah. And I was going to say, do you think he'll be a top 10 catcher the rest of the way? But now I need to kind of revert that back because that seemed like a pretty astounding yes. So let's move it up here. Do you think he's a top five catcher from this point forward in fantasy baseball? From this point forward? So you've got Real Muto, who's going to be just continue to be good. Will Smith is likely going to continue to be good. I would say Salvi Perez is in that conversation because even with the injury, he'll come back. He'll still put up good numbers for a catcher. Who else has been spectacular for for catchers? I mean, Wilson Contreras has been okay. Yeah, K Bear's been okay. Um, so it sounds like yes. That's what I'm hearing. You I mean, it's just such a bad a case for five. It's just such a bad position that I guess you have to default to yes, right? I mean, okay. I like it. Adley Rushman, top five the rest of the way. You heard it. You can't see it right now, but that seems a little a little reluctant to go there. But the answer is yes. We're confident, and I I think he will be too simply too good. And he also gets the benefit division. of playing in a bunch of small small ballparks, right? Yep. Like so, it certainly does help. Uh, Bal- or Baltimore's in the AL East, obviously. They're with the New York Yankees. Uh, in TGFBI, I put in a $125 bid for Clay Holmes thinking I was overpaying. Turns out that I was not, and I was actually doubled up on getting him, so I missed well, out saves, on Well, saves, man. But, yep, that's that's the whole thing, and Aroldis Chapman has been eh. At well, best. did you hear what Boone said the mound visit yesterday was about? I don't think I did, but I think Travis is dealing with a little something, too, if I don't yeah, think Achilles, I'm not Yeah, an Achilles. He's getting treatment for an Achilles issue. Yep. So yep. that's concerning. We also heard the rumors earlier this year that, like, they may shift Chapman to more of, like, an eighth inning type gig coming up. Um, not necessarily, like, this year, but who knows at this point. So, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why... Um, why Clay Holmes can't slot in and get and get some saves. Now, I have stated in the past that I don't usually like closers from high offensive teams. But with the Yankees starting rotation, let's, uh, can I call them woes? They haven't been great. Like, they've been solid enough, but not, like, spectacular, right? They're going to win games that are high scoring. Or they're just going to hit, like, three solo shots and call it a game, right? So, yeah, I, I like Clay Holmes quite quite a lot. Yeah, quite a he's lot. got a point, point four two ERA on the year. The expected stats, obviously, a little bit higher because it's hard to have an, an XERA low of an ERA that you already have that's already... Right, but his XERA is one three zero. Yeah, exactly. He's his been, FIP is one five seven. Yeah, like, and he's... <laughs> Really just been impressive. Like, the sure, the strikeouts maybe aren't as high as you would like, but the biggest thing I love is the jumping ground ball rate because you can't get hurt. You can't get severely hurt by balls hit on the ground. 
So that's true. Which is also, so, by the way, why his Sierra is 0.67. Yep, it sure is. And then quick, quick break from more hard hitting analysis and statistics. But I saw an article came out that uh, there's the old saying, you know, you look good, feel good, play good. And now someone is saying that smell good is brought into the equation. So look good, feel good, smell good, play good. So um, at the salesman on Twitter, which to you do you think is the most important amongst that trio? Look good, feel good, or smell good to play good? I would say feel good. Yep. And you want to know why? John Daly completely disproves all of the other parts of this. In the first round, he smells good. In the first round of the PGA Championship, did you see what this man put into his body? I did not, but I can only imagine. Twenty-one cigarettes, mm-hmm. twelve diet cokes, six packs of M and M's, and zero water. And he had a better round than a bunch of people, like better than Dustin Johnson, who is like. A fitness god, and I mean, hell, he stays in shape. He's married to the great one's daughter, for God's sakes. Um, so John Daly, feeling pretty good about himself, had himself a pretty good first round. So I'm going to go with feel good, because if you feel good, I can accomplish stuff. Uh, I don't really care what – I mean, I do care what I look like. That didn't come out right, right? But, like, I don't have to show off for people anymore. I'm comfortable with my life status. Um Smell good for the start of the game. You probably want to smell good. But by the end of it, if you've had yourself a good game, you ain't going to smell good because you're going to be sweating from putting up some big numbers. So I'm going to go with feel good. Yep, that is the only logical answer to me is feel good. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I smell like. I just want to have three hits and four at-bats with an extra base hit or two and call it a day. So it is feel good for me. So we're going to move here now to a little buy or sell. So we'll go to the Dodgers. We're going to go to Tony Gonson. He's looked quite good, especially in his last start. When you look at his numbers overall, he's no Clay Holmes, but he does have an impressive 1.62 ERA. K per nine at only 8.5 is a step down from where he was last year, but it's kind of closer to where he's been at the major league level prior to last season. ERA has been good. However, I kind of picked this one on purpose because I know where you kind of lie with this. He does sport the Dodger blue. And Dave Roberts is his manager, which I'm, you know, make what you want of that. But I'm going to throw it out there. But Gonsolin is 4-0 in eight starts with a 1.62 ERA and a 3.51 FIP. So are you buying or selling the Los Angeles right-hander? Right now, I would be buying. Um, I think their starting rotation is thin enough at this point, especially with Kershaw on the IL at the moment, um, that they need him. However, when Kershaw comes back and then – Potentially, Dustin May comes back. Um, I don't know what they do at that point. Right? I don't know if they keep him in the... Because we've seen him get long bouts in the rotation and then come towards the end of the year, they shift him back to the bullpen. So, for right now, I'd be buying him, but I'd still be leery of just how much work he'll continue to get um, because Dave Roberts is always... Is always shifting. It seems like there's only three guys that have ever really always held rotation spots for Dave Roberts, and that's Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw when he's not injured, and Julio Urias. And that's it. Everybody else is kind of a movable piece. So right now I'll buy Tony Gonsolin. It's hard to deny what he's doing. He's got a spot in the rotation. So we'll go with a buy on Gonsolin. I'm there with you as well. I like the produced 
uh, average exit velocity, hard hit rate is down, and ground balls are up. I like ground balls and strikeouts. That is the name of my game that I'm looking for for pitchers in fantasy baseball. Another one that I just cannot figure out is Martin Perez. I don't know if he's found the fountain of youth or what the heck it's been with the Texas Southpaw, but he's got a 1.64 ERA on the year. He's not striking anybody out. He's not getting killed by home runs, and he's a guy I have literally tried to pick against in DFS every time he toes the rubber, looking at past splits and everything like that, and I cannot, for the life of me, figure out Martin Perez this year. So I feel like I almost have to buy him because I I get it wrong picking against him every time. But what say you with Martin Perez, buy or sell? So this is a very weird case. It's very weird. Um there, I don't know that you'll ever find that like a nine-game stretch in his career that he's put up these, or an eight-game stretch that he's put up these numbers. I mean, even if it's not like he's doing it with necessarily smoke and mirrors either, because his expected numbers, his FIP, XFIP, expected ERA, are all in like the two-four range. So that's respectable, right? Um, I will say we've seen a drop in his hard hit rate, so that's helping him out. We've seen a big drop in his barrel rate, for what that's worth. I don't take a whole lot of stock in it, but some people do. We've seen a drop in that. Um, What I will say is if you look at the pull rate and the, you know, people hitting it up the middle of the field, that's where the most amount of contact is made against him. And there's been a jump in people hitting it up the middle of the field. What did Texas do this offseason? They went out and they got Corey Seager and they got Marcus Simeon, both of whom are very good defensive middle infielders. So if he's keeping the ball on the ground, which he is at a whopping 55.8% ground ball rate, and more than a third of the balls are going up the middle or to the pull side, then, you know, their plan of getting Seeger and Simeon is working defensively. It's not really working offensively, but it's working defensively. And Texas, Texas's new ballpark is a pitcher-friendly park. So all of this to me suggests that maybe, maybe you buy them. That sounds horrifying to say because um, it is Martin Perez. But... Right now, you can't argue with what he's doing. Yeah. Let me twist your words here for a second. That's one of my He hasn't allowed a do. home run yet. That, yeah, he hasn't. And I, that, the big thing is the drop in barrel rate, launch angles down, so ground balls are up. So I guess, I, I don't know how we missed this, but coming to the season, I guess that means the Rangers dropped hundreds of million dollars for Martin Perez. It wasn't even for the lineup. It was all for the resurgence of Martin Perez. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm I'm even trying to see if there's a if there's a change in his pitch mix that can explain it, but not really. I mean, he's throwing slightly less cutters so far than he did last, you know, the last few years, but that's been decreasing each of the last like four years. Doesn't throw the slider anymore, hasn't in like four years. He's throwing more fastballs, but the velo is a little bit down. So like I it's just a very curious case. It's just very curious. And right now, you got to let it ride with Martin Perez. Yep. It's one of those things, too, where I think if you sell him at this point, you're not going to get anything that's really of value to you. So you might as well just enjoy the stretch 
while right. he while he's uh, while he's doing it. Another stretch that I yeah. find particularly interesting, and the fact that I played him in DFS and that and he's during this hot streak and it's worked out quite well, is Cole Calhoun is enjoying really career numbers. Would if the season were to end today, we're talking career high barrel rate, average exit velocity. Uh, his sweet spot XBA is the second highest it's ever been. He's been impressive this year. Sure, he's only hitting 243 and strikeouts are up so and walks are down. So there is some long-term concern here with him. But he does have six home runs and only 115 at-bats. And really, in May, he's been exceptional with an OPS north of the even 1,000. So uh, is this – I just – basically, after I just said strikeouts are up and walks are down, so that kind of bodes to where I'm going a little bit here. But is Cole Calhoun at this point a guy that you're buying or selling? I don't know. Can I say push? Sure. Why not? It's your podcast. So like, here's the thing. And I know extrapolating data is a terrible thing to do. Okay. Don't anybody ever do it. Don't, don't do what I'm about to do. Okay. But we're about a, about a quarter of the way through the season in terms of games played at bats, played appearances, whatnot. Right. He's got six homers. So if we say we're about a quarter of the way through, that puts him at about 24. That puts him where he was in 2015. That puts him about where, you know, a little less than where he was in 2019. So is it possible that Cole Calhoun can hit 24 home runs? Sure. He's been known as a pretty decent power guy. I mean, he had between 2014 and 2020 – he had 16 or more home runs every single year, right? He hit 16 homers for Arizona in 54 games in 2020, okay? Last year, super down year, but he only played 51 games. So, you know, he was injured. Batting average still hanging on at 240, even though he's got his highest career strikeout rate right now, his lowest career walk rate, um, and he plays in Texas, so, I don't know. I'm going to enjoy the ride. If you can get something for him and convince somebody that these numbers can stick, go for it. Um, if you have him and you're leery, you can sell him. I'm kind of either way on this guy right now. Yep. And then for a level of concern, we'll roll through these ones pretty quick. Uh, this first one is pretty cut and dry. I don't really think there's much to be concerned about considering it's pretty much the same as it's been. Jock Peterson still matches righties, still can't hit lefties, nor is he going to be afforded the chance to try to figure out left-hander. So for me, there's no concern here because the drop in production of what he did during that hot streak was going to inevitably fade. But really, it's the same story, status quo, same, you know, same stuff, different year for Peterson. So my level of concern with him is zero. What say you? Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's another year, same guy, right? It's that's uh, San Francisco got him because they knew they could use him in this in this fashion and it's worked for him. So yeah, and then yeah, absolutely. It. And then another one that we have here, Joey Gallo struggling. He's got 16 strikeouts in his last 43 at bats. And when you look over basically the last month for his last 89 at bats, he's punched out 40 times. He's another guy we kind of know whom he is at this point. Home run or strikeout is the name of his game, except this year his 37.8% strikeout rate would be higher than either of the past two years. And his numbers, not very good there. So for me, I'm pretty concerned about Joey Gallo. I don't have him anywhere, though, so I don't really know if that 
allows me to be concerned about him considering I don't have any shares of him. Um, but overall, I'd be concerned. What about you with Gallo? Yeah, I'm concerned. Well, so this is tricky, right? Because I've been concerned with Gallo for a while, but I have no more concern than I previously did. He is who he is. He finished last year with a sub 200 batting average, and it was decently over 200 when the Yankees got him, right? So, uh, you know, he's not a three true outcome guy because he doesn't walk. He either strikes out or hits bombs. That's it. Um, that's what he's doing. And as long as the Yankees are going to give him plate appearances, he's going to get a shot to hit home runs. But you cannot, you cannot live with the strikeout rate. And I'm not sure there's an easy way out of it. So I'm pretty concerned he should not be owned basically anywhere at this point. Yep. I right there with you. If the power's not there, I can't stomach that batting average. And then the last one we'll talk about here is Alejandro Kirk in Toronto. He's not striking out. He doesn't really miss a lot. He's hitting 260. He does only have one home run, but it seems like they're just reluctant to let him play every single day. And that's where my concern really lies with him. If regular at bats, I'd be all in on the guy, but they seem somewhat reluctant to do so. So any concern with Alejandro Kirk, the 23-year-old backstop in Toronto? Uh, well, I mean, it's concerning if you drafted him to be your main catcher, assuming this was a breakout year coming, which I was one of the people that thought it was going to be a breakout. The problem is that he was never really known for his defense, right? It was the bat that carried him with decent defense. Um, so if they're concerned defensively or about pitch sequencing or pitch calling, or maybe they've looked at their starters ERA with him behind the plate versus um, you know, like Danny Jansen or whoever else they want to put back there if they're like five catchers. Um, it's possible that that he's just not where he needs to be defensively or pitch calling wise to make up for the bat. You, you're not going to put him at DH because then one of the other dudes that you got to play DH isn't going to be in there. So that's a little bit. That's basically what's happening with Kirk is he got blocked by a guy who plays better defensively. And while the bat isn't there, you'll take a downgrade in bat in that offense to get better defense. Yep. And then that's the level of concern. So then we're going to wrap it up here with the prediction for the week that lies ahead last week. Matt, you were the only one to get it right with um, Baltimore listening to you and giving Adley Rushman the much-deserved and long-awaited call to the show. So for this week's prediction, I'll go ahead and go first, see if I can actually get one of these things right. Um, I doubled down on it this week at Fantasy Lime. I wrote about why Trevor's story was a buy low on, I believe I wrote it Tuesday. I believe I wrote it Wednesday morning. And then that, I like to think that article unleashed the hit parade that was for Trevor's story. But the, the bounce back was obvious it was coming. It just happened to be literally a day after I wrote the article. So that was always nice to see. But for me, I'm going to double down here with, Trevor's story. I say he's going to hit at least 350 this week with a couple of home runs to boot. So over his last seven games, as of Monday, 360 with six home runs. I'm thinking he's going to come somewhere around there. There'll be a little bit of drop in power. But for me, over this next week, Trevor's story hits at least 350 with at least two home runs and two more stolen bases. Matt, what is your prediction for the week? So interestingly, we we did not plan to stay in Boston for both predictions, but we will. Um, 
Jaron Duran should be back up with the Red Sox. Like, can we just state that as fact? Not that I'm, I mean, I'm predicting that he's going to come up this week. Uh, back up, I should say, because he did get a one-game uh, showcase before Kike Hernandez came back from the IL. Um, but, Boston, what are you doing? You got a guy who's mashing AAA hitting, and he's been mashing since basically the second half of last year when he made a swing adjustment, and he's become more patient at the plate. He's walking more. He's making better contact. Um, the speed is playing. He's got some power now that continued from your minor leagues to um, spring training to the Arizona Fall League to the Olympic camp. Um, so, like, and now he's been ridiculously good in May. You can make the argument that his batting numbers are actually better full circle than Nolan Gorman's were in May. So, what? why is Jaron Duran still down on the farm? You're outfield ranks either second to last or third to last in every offensive category in baseball. And if you're second to last, the only team you're better than is Oakland. Who's got three garbage truck guys playing outfield for them. Like, I mean, what, what are we doing? Jaron Duran has got to be in your lineup. He's got to take over for somebody in that outfield. It's clearly not working. I know you're paying JBJ like $9.5 million this year. Cut him. Defensively, he's fine. Offensively, doesn't bring anything. So, Jaron Duran coming back up is my prediction for the week. I love it. So, we got Trevor Story has another solid week, hitting at least 350 with a couple bombs, a couple stolen bases, and Jaron Duran returns to the Boston Red Sox lineup. So, those are the predictions for the week. And then make sure, of course, until the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast, checking out all of the content at Fantasy Alarm, DFS Alarm, all across the board, whether you play seasonal, daily, player props, anything like that, just a casual fan even, uh, there's going to be enough content there for you to check out and to consume and enjoy at any point throughout the day. So we will be back next week with another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter and Matt Sells at The Sellsman on Twitter. Give us both a follow. And until then, have a great rest of your week, and we will see you exactly one week or so from today for the next edition. We'll see you then.